Uh, with that, if you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Um, last week, we talked about this idea of baggage, um, and baggage being these like burdens that we're carrying. And I'll just say this. If you missed last week, uh, I would strongly encourage you uh, to go on our website. To the, like, you go to the media and the Long Prairie. Listen to the message on baggage, because um, as I talked with people this past week, um, we just found that that was, that was a message that was resonating with a lot of people. That, that a lot of us are walking through life and we are carrying baggage that really we're not meant to carry and it's hindering us from being able to be used by God in the way that he wants to, for us to even just have that relationship in the way that we want to. Um, and this baggage is, is really just kind of weighing us down. And so because of just feeling like that this was, this was where so many people were at, we're going to talk about this idea a little bit for the next few weeks. All right, and so if you missed last week's message, it was, originally was going to be kind of a standalone one, but I'd say go back, take a listen to that, um, because it's going to kind of lay the foundation for a little bit of what we're talking about here. All right, um, and so I, I wanted to take a few weeks, dive into this a little further, um, pull it out more today, and we're, we're actually going to kind of like lay a little bit more of the foundation today, and then we're going to take two weeks and talk about two specific areas that we just feel like a lot of people have, have baggage in these areas, uh, and we want to kind of walk through that. And so we are in a series now that we're just calling this. We're calling it Fully Surrendered. Fully Surrendered. The reason for that is as I was processing and praying about this idea of baggage, um, reflecting on what Jesus had, had said that we looked at last week about taking up his yoke, um, the thing that's going to help us feel refreshed and move towards healthiness, um, but how, you know, it's, it's really, it's hard to pick up his yoke when our hands are already full of carrying our own baggage, right? And so uh, I think we can say this as I was praying through this, baggage is the evidence of an area that isn't fully surrendered. Like as I was just walking through this, thinking about the baggage, thinking about surrender, I'm like, that, that's really what that comes down to. If, if I'm carrying baggage in an area, it's because I have not really released that area to God and said, God, I want you to take this. So baggage is evidence of an area that is not fully given over to God, not fully surrendered. All right, and I think that's true whether the hurt is coming from the result of our own action or decision or something that happened to us or we experienced. We are still choosing to hang on to parts of it instead of processing through it, dealing with it, and giving it to God. And so, so the opposite of baggage is freedom. We kind of talked about that last week. But the way we get to freedom is actually through surrender. And that's, that's sort of counterintuitive, I think. Like, think about this. If you want freedom, that means that something is controlling you. And if something is controlling you, you need to get out from underneath it. Well, how do you normally do that? You fight. You fight. Like, that's, you fight for freedom. Okay? And this is, like, this is literally the story of how our country came to be. You know, we felt like we were under control by something, and we fought for freedom. So you would think that in order to gain freedom, you need to fight. But, but like most of the time, when it comes to God, his ways are opposite from the world around us. They, they are literally upside down. And so with God, we don't gain freedom by fighting for it. We gain freedom by giving up, by surrendering, which is counterintuitive, right? Like usually you're like, all right, let's fight. And no, it's, it's not fighting, it's surrendering. And so I want us to better understand this idea and how to apply that to some specific areas. 
All right, so let's, let's make sure that we have an attitude where we are ready to hear from God. We're ready to be challenged. All right, so if you would, would you, if you're able, if you're willing, would you stand with me? I want to read through just this passage. Um, and you'll recognize it if you were here last week. We're going to start kind of where we left off a little bit. So we are in uh, Matthew 16, and, and so we're going to read starting in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone, anyone, any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. God, we just pray that... Uh, Lord, highlight the areas in our life where we are carrying baggage, where we are not surrendered. God, and help us to just move in that direction this morning, that this would even just be the first step or the, the springboard that launches us into this. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. So in order to understand this idea, I think, I think we need to start with a full understanding of what, what is meant by the word surrender. Because I honestly think that a big part of our issue is that way back when many of us maybe kind of said this phrase of like, God, I'm yours, all right, I surrender. I think for many of us, we, we didn't quite fully and wholly surrender, all right? Uh, Merriam-Webster has like a plethora of definitions of surrender, kind of depending on how you're using the word. Uh, but, but one of the main definitions that kind of goes with what we're saying is this. Uh, surrender is the action of yielding one's person or giving up the possession of something, especially into the power of another. All right, so this is, I mean, I think we all kind of understand that. This is what surrender is. But the tricky part here is that even though this is one definition, if you notice, there's actually two because there's the word or in the middle of this. All right, and so one of them is yielding one's person. And this, this paints the picture of just like all of me, like I am giving all of myself, I am surrendered. That's the first half of what is, is said in this definition. But the second half is just about giving up something. Not necessarily myself, but part of myself. Something that I have in my possession. Something I own or I have control of. All right? And so this one thing, like maybe it's like, I'll give this one area and this one thing over to God instead of all of me. And I think without realizing it, for many of us, we thought that we were surrendering and giving all of ourselves, but in reality, we just sort of gave part of ourselves to God. And I think that this is probably true of every single one of us, because we just, it's so hard to fathom this true like, idea of giving all of ourselves to God. So we kind of, we idealize it and we think of one area and we say, okay, God, I'm giving you my Sunday mornings from 10 to 11.15. You know, and that's not actually what we said in that moment, but that's kind of how it started to play out in our actions. And, and that's an issue. This isn't the type of surrender that, that is needed and that we are called to. Because we're still going to try and control so much of our life. Or maybe we did what we would be called like a, a provisional or conditional surrender. Okay, that's when like one side surrenders, but it's based on, I will surrender if you do this. And this is almost like all surrenders that you see in like a war. Like there's some type of like a treaty that's signed, something that's gone through that says, okay, we'll surrender, but you need to allow us to remain a country. You need to allow this. You need to, you know, and those are like conditional surrenders. 
Like, God, I'll surrender my life, but then you need to make sure that this happens and my life looks like this. A full surrender is really hard for us. It's hard for anyone. Uh, I was actually looking at this. The code of the U.S. fighting force uh, disallows surrender unless, and says this, all reasonable means of resistance are exhausted and certain death the only alternative. That's the only time you can surrender. And the code states, I will never surrender of my own free will. If in command, I will never surrender the members of my command while they still have the means to resist. And we hear that and we're like, yeah. Like it's kind of this idea of like, yeah, we're going to go down fighting. But I think we, we bring that in of this idea of like, we are so good at resisting God. He says, as long as I still have means of resisting, I'm not going to surrender. The problem is every single one of us has tons of means of resisting God. And so I think we have this thing just built into us of like, I'm not, I'm not going to surrender fully. Like, and it's scary to surrender fully because if there's no conditions, you don't know what the outcome is. If you were in a war and you surrendered with no conditions, you'd have no idea. They could turn around and just kill you. They could wipe you off the face of the earth. Which is why we love having conditions of saying, at least my life is still going to look like this. So full surrender is hard. But what has God called us to? What did Jesus say? You have to take up your cross. You have to give up your life. That's full surrender. I want to look at another interaction Jesus had that lays out uh, kind of the bar of what we're called to. There's a spot where the religious leaders try to trap Jesus. They're doing this like all the time. They give him an unwinnable situation, like a trick question where no matter how he answers, he's going to lose. All right, so remember Israel at this time, they are being occupied by Rome. Rome is in control. They have the final say. And one of the things that you have to do was you had to pay taxes to Rome. All right, but in doing so, you were essentially acknowledging that they were your rightful government. So taxes were a really touchy subject among the Jewish people. All right? Because if you pay them, you're like acknowledging that they are in charge of you. Because of this, the Jewish people, they hated taxes. Everyone hates taxes. Okay, that's not unique to them. But their taxes was a way of also like being cheated. There was so much more in there. So that's the background of this passage, okay? So we're going to look at this. It says, Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, We know how honest you are. They're buttering him up here. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? You, you can see, like, Jesus is trapped. If he says, yes, it's right to pay taxes, all the people he's trying to minister to, all the people he's trying to uh, lead, they're all going to be upset and want to walk away. Because, remember, he, he's the Messiah. But in their minds, the Messiah was going to come and fight Rome and get them out from underneath the control of Rome. So if someone comes and says, yes, you should honor and respect Rome and pay the taxes, they're your rightful government, they're going to be like, fine, but there's no way you're the Messiah. But if he says the opposite and says, no, don't pay your taxes, there were supporters of Herod, who is the Roman governor at that time, 
who would say, he's telling them not to pay taxes. That's insurrection. Arrest him. And that's, we'll just kill you for that. So he's in this no-win situation. All right, let's keep reading. Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Which I just feel like in that moment, they should have just turned and left because you're about to get your butt kicked. All right, but so show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. Now you get to that last line and like his reply completely amazed them. You're like, that wasn't that amazing. Like, why, why were they so amazed by this? It's because we're missing some really deep things that are happening here. All right, we often shortchange this passage thinking that Jesus is just saying, uh, yeah, his image is on the coin, just give it to him, doesn't matter, money's a small thing. But the genius of Jesus' response isn't in what he said to appease the followers of Herod, you know, when he said like, okay, pay the taxes. But the genius is by what he implied but did not explicitly say to the Jewish people who were listening. According to Jesus, why were they supposed to give coins to Caesar? Because his image is stamped on it. So he's like, it belongs to him. Now this word that Jesus uses here when he says whose picture is on the coin, or a lot of translations say image, this is the only time that's recorded that Jesus uses this, this Greek word for image. There's no other spot in the Gospels where that word appears. You see it later on because people are picking up on this theme. It's the only time. That word, now that's in Greek, Old Testament's in Hebrew. All right, stick with me. Nerdy thing here. There's something called the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament written in Greek a long time ago. So it allows you to see Greek words and how they would have been used previously. That is the same word that would be used at the very beginning of creation when God says, let us make man in our image. Same word right there. Only time Jesus uses this word. So when he said that word, it carried some meaning. And anyone who was listening to him give this answer. The second he said, whose image, and use that word, is on that coin, everyone there would have been like, oh, I see where he's going. Like it would have immediately just put all these light bulbs on in people's mind. The implication is the coin has Caesar's image. Give it to him. Then he quickly says this line, give to God what is God's. Well, what is God? What is God's? What has God's image stamped on it? We do. So in this moment, it's this beautiful answer that he turns around on them. He just says, hey, the coin's got Caesar's image. Whatever, give it to him. You have God's image. All of you give to God. And it's this beautiful, like, quick little turnaround that we miss that really just paints this picture of, like, everything that we are, everything that we have, has his image on it, and therefore is his. There's no conditional surrender. We have God's image on us. We belong to him, all of us. Every last piece of us belongs to him. I think what, what led to us not fully surrendering is, is just not starting with that mindset from the beginning 
a verse that's often used in, in churches or by like evangelical Christians a lot is Romans 10, 9. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And a simple reading, face value reading of that makes it sound really, really easy. All I have to do is say that Jesus is Lord. But again, we are missing the weight behind that statement. In the original context, this isn't just like a basic sentence. This is a famous statement or almost a creed that Christians in the early church would recognize. All right, in the first century Roman Empire, you had to give your allegiance to Caesar. We've already talked about that. You give your taxes. Uh, but you would also, a soldier could walk up and you did this by saying two words, Kaiser Curios. And this translated from Greek to mean Caesar is Lord. So Caesar was not only the ruler of the Roman Empire, but he was to be worshipped as God or as divine. And if you refuse to recite those words, as many Christians did, you could just be killed. So if a soldier said, came up and say, you know, pay allegiance to Caesar, you had to reply with those words, Kaiser Kyrios, Caesar is Lord. If not, they, they could just kill you right there. So what believers would respond with is Jesus ha kurios. Jesus is Lord. And then those words, as you uttered them, could just be your last. You could be killed for those words. Whether you were killed right there on the spot or oftentimes you were taken and you were fed to a lion in front of many people to watch. For those words, Jesus is Lord. So this, this passage carries weight. This passage carries a ton of weight. There's an early church father named uh, Polycarp. Maybe you've heard the name, maybe you haven't. It's not a fish. All right. Uh, and he was like discipled by John. Uh, and, and he was killed for this exact thing. And at the end, they're saying, why don't you just say Caesar is Lord? He says, I can't, I can't do that. God has done so much for me. How can I blaspheme him? And he dies for these words that Jesus is Lord. So when we read Romans 10, 9, we say, hey, just, just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You'll be saved. And we're like, oh, that's pretty easy. But we're losing the weight that it means behind those words. All right, we, we don't, we don't always understand that. We lose that in our modern understanding. Like mainly because the church budget does not allow for me to keep lions on hand so that when you say Jesus is Lord, we have like something to really make it feel like, okay, I've looked into it. It just isn't feasible, okay? So we got to find a different way. How do we carry the weight of like a phrase like that? Like Jesus is Lord. Everything in my life is his. To the point where I, I will utter those words if they kill me. Jesus is Lord. That that is full surrender. And we've done a disservice by trying to paint this picture that following Jesus is easy. Do you believe in him? Yep. Great. All right. Welcome aboard. Nothing else will ever be expected of you. We want so desperately for people to find Jesus that at times we have, we have cheapened and, and watered down what it actually means to accept him as your Lord and Savior in the hopes of just trying to get more and more people to do that. But, it, but we're missing it. We're missing this. So what does this mean for us today? Well, for starters, like, if you've made this claim that Jesus is Lord, 
Do you mean it? Do you mean it? What are you saying that he is Lord of? He's Lord of heaven. He's Lord of earth. Like that's not very specific in how it impacts my life. He's Lord of my life. Okay, well, how does that actually impact me? Are you willing to die for him? Because that's what Jesus says followers of his are supposed to do. It's, it's dying to yourself, following him in a new life. It's picking up your cross. It's giving God what is God's. But all this is still like so big picture and hard to grasp. If I ask myself, have I surrendered my whole life fully to God? My answer would probably be like, I think so. Um, I'm trying to. I want to. But I'm sure that there are areas that I haven't fully done this in. And I would venture to guess that you would probably answer in a similar way. So how do we change that? How do we try to make sure that we're fully surrendered? Well, normally, if you ever hear someone talk about compartmentalizing your life, it's usually done in a negative way. Where we're like, okay, I have work, I have family, I have fun, and then I have God over here in this compartment, and they all just kind of stay separate. And so that, that type of idea of compartmentalizing isn't very healthy. God is not meant to be put over in this one compartment. But I think that actually by looking at this in this way, it can be helpful for us uh, this morning. All right, like we actually did a series a little over four years ago, which is crazy, called Lord of My Life. All right, and we actually don't even have it on like, we didn't have a video camera recording anything. Uh, I think at this time we were still recording it onto CDs uh, and then trying to transfer that. And so, but we, we did this series, Lord of My Life, and we went through and we talked about different areas of my life and asked the question, is he Lord of this? So he said, is he Lord of my thoughts? Is he Lord of my calendar? Is he Lord of my mission? Is he Lord of my finances? Is he Lord of just everything? Is he Lord of my day? And, and I loved going through that, um, but it just was, that's the type of idea I think we need to approach this with. Like, I think even, Jesus even tries to hint at some of this at different times in his teachings. He has moments where he speaks to specific areas of our life and what it looks like if we are fully surrendered and he is fully Lord of, okay? And so I want to just kind of read through a few of these quickly. I mentioned last week that one of the areas that I struggle with to really trust God and let him take full control is with my kids. Like if I'm just being brutally honest and transparent. I struggle with that. Like as a parent, I just, I care so deeply for my kids that I want to be in control of what's happening in their life. And so I struggle with that. All right, so what does Jesus say surrender looks like when it comes to my family? Well, Luke 14, it says, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, that should sound familiar to us. You must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father, your mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. He keeps bringing that up. So this is by comparison. Jesus is so far in first place that second place, typically that big of a gap, would mean that you love something and you hate something. He's not saying that you hate them. He's saying you can still love them, but your love for me should be so high, should supersede this so greatly that there's a massive gap between first and second place. Matthew 10, he says, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. 
Matthew 8. Then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. It's a legitimate request, we would probably think. But Jesus told him, Follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Oof. That's like the only response to that. That, that. Jesus lays this out like really thick of what it looks like to be fully surrendered when it comes to your family. He gives us a way to self-evaluate specific areas of our lives. Am I fully surrendered to God? And the bar is super high. And I'm not making an argument that we don't surrender, that the bar is too high. I'm saying we, we are working towards this. We are moving in this direction. We are trying and striving for that. And there's days where I'm going to fall short. But that's what I am striving for. And we have baggage that we have to strip off to get there. And that's what living for Jesus is. Waking up every day trying to imitate him, often falling short, asking for forgiveness and grace, and he gives it and we try again. Okay, what about other areas? That's my family. What about my emotions? What does Jesus have to say about my fully surrendering my emotions? Matthew 5. You've heard it. You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. I guess I have some work to do. And I'm going to just start walking everywhere instead of driving because that's when the word idiot comes out of my mouth the most. Use your blinker, you idiot. This is difficult. This is hard. What about when I deal with people I disagree with? People I, I don't see eye to eye on. Personal relationships. It's the last one I'm going to read. Big chunk here. You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true, true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Oh, This is hard. It is not easy to be fully surrendered. Is the lion thing still an option? <laughs> Some days that sounds easier. Can I just say, like, I'm fully surrendered and then it ends and, and I don't have to do anything else. No, like, Jesus lays this out and it is difficult. The Beatitudes, that's Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Jesus' biggest sermon is a picture of a fully surrendered life. And it is not for the faint of heart. It is what we are called to. When we say those words, Jesus is Lord. When we make a confession and say, I want to follow you, I want to give my life to you. 
This is what we're called to. It's what we're called to. Worship team, why don't you guys come? Let's, let's stand as we just kind of bring this to a close. The next two weeks, we're going to look at two specific areas that I think are just areas that we need to reevaluate, areas that probably impact the most of us. Because walking with God is all about one word, and that's surrender. And we spend our time wrestling with this. Am I, am I fully surrendered? What, what does that look like? And the amazing byproduct of surrender is you start to drop all of that baggage that you're carrying that we talked about last week. That through surrender is how we get rid of that. Because again, what we want in life is freedom. And the vehicle to get to freedom is surrender. And a huge part of surrender is what we said last week. It's, it's picking up Jesus' yoke. It's allowing him to be deeply involved in the process. Jesus isn't like, okay, figure stuff out, get it surrendered, then you can come to me. Last week, this picture was painted of Jesus actually saying, hey, come to me. See this yoke that I have on me? There's a second spot in it. You can jump in it with me and I'll do the heavy pulling. That's what he's saying in this. So it's, surrender is not this idea of, hey, get your junk together, then you can have access to God. That's, that's what was so amazing about Jesus. He's saying, right in the midst of this, come to me, I'm gonna help you. In fact, I'll do most of the work. And we just need to figure out how do we actually get to him? How do we, how do we let our pride and our ego instead be pulled away and say, Jesus, I need you. And when we do that, he shoulders the heaviest part all right? And so this is kind of the final statement I want to leave us with. And then Pastor Aaron's going to come and transition us. When we fully surrender, we find the rest that is promised to us and we find the freedom that we so desperately need. That's the result of fully surrendering. And it should be what every single one of us wants. So we're going to move into a time here where we're going to have ways to just respond. We're going to go back into some singing. I'd encourage you just to take this time, focus in on God. Pastor Aaron's going to come. She's going to lead us into this. So, Aaron, would you come? I just want to invite, we're going to have prayer teams uh, up front, and there'll be somebody in the back as well. But as I was just listening to Pastor Josiah and, and um, thinking about this, Part of what came into to my head and my thought process was we need in order to understand this fully of, to being fully surrendered we need to change our thoughts about it right like so it, it's one of those things like some of us have grown up with this idea of what freedom is and it needs to change and we need to change how we define surrender and begin to do that and that that came into my head but also that this is a process and I think Pastor Josiah has said that. This isn't just, this isn't a flip of the switch. This isn't going to happen overnight. This is a process. And, and God's just asking us to take one step. And then another step. And as I picture that in my mind, as, as we take that step, I don't, I don't know, it's just this picture of things falling off of me. It's not going to be just this massive bag that boom is done but it's this process of, of walking down this pathway 
And as we begin to take each little step, something falls off. And so I want to pray for us because this is hard. <laughs> this is really hard. And I want to pray that our mindset would change and our definitions of freedom and surrender would become God's definition. And that we wouldn't feel the burden of like, oh my gosh, i got to change everything I've ever thought about something, but that we would just begin to take that one step and little by little, like you think about a fist and we're hanging on to something that we just slowly begin to let go. So this is hard, but don't let this overwhelm you and, and be like, I can't do this, this is too much. Just begin to release begin to take a small step because there's an end goal to being fully surrendered we have to have that goal though so father god this morning is however we want to picture it god like whether it's how i saw it in my head is as it's just taking these small steps forward and as i do that god understanding that it isn't just going to change me overnight and change my heart and my thought process but God that you will begin to work and as you begin to work in my life not even me God that you begin to help those things be released or they begin to just fall off as we take another step and another step towards you and so God this morning as as we go into this this next part of as of our time together God I pray that we would we would respond in some way. That God, that the notes we took down in our notebooks or in our Bibles, whatever, God, that it, it would go from there to our hearts. That as we walk out of this building this morning, that there would already be just something small that's fallen off. And we would begin to pick up more of you. So God, be with us in the next few moments. Whether that's as we sing these, these words that are on the screen, God, I pray that they're not just words, but they come from our hearts. That God, if maybe we come up and we, we ask for prayer for a need that we have or just need help, like asking for prayer to help surrender something. Or God, maybe even we respond in a way where we go back to the back corner and we take communion and remember the sacrifice and the way that you made for us so that we can truly find freedom. God, be with us here in the next few moments. Help us to respond, to not walk out of here the same, but to walk out of here changed. And we will give you all of the honor and glory. Be with us in the next few moments.